special things happen when God's people get together. God simply unable to not take notice when his people gather together in his name. He's right there in the midst of them. Man, I'm just glad to be in church this morning. And I'm also glad I, 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 we don't get to take a whole lot of credit because she only belongs to us every once in a while, but the word has it, Sister Lakin was filled with the Holy Ghost. look at him as he's smiling. There she goes. Always thankful to hear somebody being born again in the water and of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Somebody else needs to get filled with the Holy Ghost this morning. <laughs> We've got some in the house that still ain't God, at least the best ain't going. Amen. Be filled with the Spirit of God today. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you'd like to go with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. We've been here for a couple of weeks, and we shall be here again this morning. Revelation, chapter 2. Let me know the Lord's coming soon. I'm so glad he's coming soon. Revelation chapter 2, I'd like to read just a few verses beginning in verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful partner, who is slain among you, where Satan dwelt. But I have a few things against thee. Because thou hast them there that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balaam to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent. That's always the answer to when something in life doesn't please God. Repent. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of a hidden manner, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. I pray most days that I'm alive. I've been alive all those days, but for a while now, it, it is in my daily prayer. Lord, give us ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. And the Spirit was to talk to us for a little while today. I would preach to you one more time about the last church standing. Would you lift up your voices, worship God with me? Oh Lord, you're a good God. You're a great God. There is no other God than you. For you alone are worthy of praise and honor and glory. Oh, we lift up the name of Jesus and we worship you today. Oh, we just let your glory fill this house. 
praise. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for God's words. Amen. Over the last couple of weeks, for those that, that weren't here, or maybe for those who just forgot, you know, two weeks and be all times. We've been walking through the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation because of most of the time when we think about the book of Revelation, we think about all of the, the wonderful things and all of the terrible things that we see there. And, you know, explosions and plagues and, and fire and floods and all the stuff that, that just kind of marvels and it, it just, just piques our curiosity. But you can't get to all of that stuff. You can never get to that point until you first get through the message to the church. The thing that the Lord would have the church to know right here and right now. And for the very first church was the church in Ephesus, and the Lord was disappointed in them because they had left their first love. And he wanted to make sure that they understood that he wanted them to go back. He wanted them to go back and, and pick up the things they'd let down, and go find the things that they lost. And then that second church was the church of Smyrna. And, and he really didn't say he had a problem with them, but, but he was encouraging them that despite everything they were going through and everything they were going to go through, that they should endure to the end. They should endure to the end. We're only going to make it if we hold on. We're only going to make it if we stick it out. Amen? And I want to stick it out to the end. And so now we come to the third church, the church in Pergamos. And Brother Sam, man, there's, there's some noise going up here. I don't know what it is. So um, let, let's get to the church of Pergamos. And so the, the, the name itself, you know, there's a lot of times you can look up what, what a name or a word means, and it kind of kind of paints a picture a little bit for you. This this name means fortified, or it means, you know, a, 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 a city. It means something that is, that is fortified. And if you dig a little bit deeper, uh, you can see that one of the roots of that word is a word that means marriage or union. And so when we talked a little bit about the fact that, that there are many Bible scholars that believe that these letters represent not just churches in that day that John would have known personally, but that they also represent churches over the course of time and the things that the church would face over the course of time. And so if you think along those lines and you kind of go in sequential order, uh, this, this would put this particular age of the church at the time of Constantine. Now, I'm not going to give you much of a history lesson this morning, but that particular time is significant because things changed for Christians when Constantine was the emperor of Rome. They had been under severe persecution. We talked a little bit about that last week. Emperor after emperor after emperor had just really brought the whip on their backs. They just come against Christians and destroyed any and all of them that they could they could find. But when Constantine showed up, he he kind of got slick about something. He he needed something to unify his kingdom. He needed something to, to bring the empire together. And throughout history, all of mankind's history, men have figured out that religion is often the way to do it. If they could find a way to marry the church and, and the state, then it will bring everybody together. Because after all, if we're serving God, we understand authority comes from Him. We, we understand. 
understand that we've got to listen to him and obey his laws over the laws of men. So if, if some government leader that's trying to get his power and authority by the laws of men can figure out a way to convince you that they're one and the same, then all of a sudden you've got to do what you're told and everything will, will fall in order. So it was this particular emperor that made Christianity the official state religion. It was the, the official religion. Well, well, of course, as long as you saw it his way. As long as you changed your doctrine just a little bit. You can get out of all of that persecution. You can escape all of that pain and all of that suffering. You can even be accepted in good society. You, you can even get the accolades of the government. You might even get some funding. You might have the, the government paying some tithes to the church. If you only compromised a little bit, if you only adjusted things just a little bit to fit to what he needed you to fit yourself into. And then Brother Shanks mentioned just for a couple of minutes last week, we were talking about the church of Smyrna. And in that particular church, the, the bishop of that church, his name was Polycarp, and, and that bishop was burned at the stake because he refused to recant. He, he, he could have had a get-out-of-jail-free card. All he had to do was just burn a little bit of incense and say, Hail Caesar, something along those lines, and, and everything would be well with him. But he wouldn't do it. He gave his life for what he believed to be the truth. So I'd ask you the question this morning, how much is the truth worth to you? Oh. How much is, is pure doctrine worth to you? How, what is it worth to you to know that you're right before a holy God? Proverbs 23 and 23 tells us, by the truth and sell it not. There is no price tag that can be put on truth. If you have the revelation today of who Jesus is, if you know that in order to be saved, I've got to repent of my sins and I've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to have my sins lost away and I've got to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking another tongue. You've got something that Fort Knox can't buy. You've got something that the Jeff Bezos can't buy. You've got something that has no price tag. You've got the truth. You've got the truth. But notwithstanding this whole idea of, of kind of prophesying and foretelling the things that the church would go through because you and I have the benefit of, of history because we're living in the last days and so we can just open the Bible and open the history book side by side and say, yeah, this stuff all comes in line and kind of looks like it makes sense. So God must know what he's doing. But remember that despite all of that, despite all of those things, this letter was written to a group of people, to a church that was alive and well in that day. And not only that, but 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 tells us that all Scripture, every single one of them, even though we're not living in Pergamos, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So it means something to you and I too. And so it's within this context, this, 
this whole message, this whole idea of coming out of the message of Smyrna, which is will you endure to the end? Will you hold on no matter how bad the persecution gets? Will you be faithful to the death so that you can receive a crown of life? It's in that context, coming right off of that letter, that rolls us into the letter to Pergamos that our Lord begins to speak to this church. So what does he do first? What does he say first? Well, he says, I know your works. I know what you've done. I know all the good that you've done in life. He said, I know where you're living. I know where you're at. I forgot you. I know exactly where you're at. He said, and I know who you're fighting. I know who's messing with you. I, I know who's getting in your sandbox. I know who's upsetting your apple cart. And he said, I also know that you have held on to my name and that you have not denied the faith. That you even got one that gave his life for the truth. Now, this really isn't the message I'm preaching today, but isn't it interesting that Jesus points out all the good things in them? Oh, you gave man if you want to. Why is this so hard for you and I? Should we not be encouraging one another in all the good things that get done? Well, why is people we why is it so easy to find fault? But we can't point out the good. We see here in scripture, I've already read it to you. The Lord had some things he wanted them to get them cleared up, but he wanted them to make sure. I know that you're doing the best you can. I know that you're living right. I know that you're holding on the truth. I'm glad that I go to a church this morning that still holds on to the truth. I'm glad that I go to a church where people will lift up their hands and they'll worship God. Because there's some places all of you can belong today. You wouldn't find none of that stuff. I'm faithful to serve God alongside some men and women that are being faithful to Him. Something to think about. Yes, then the Lord keeps on speaking. He keeps on talking. You know, Swerve kind of got out of rebuke. They really didn't get a rebuke. They just got to keep on keeping on. But not so much here. The Lord points this out. He says, but I have a few things against thee. I've got some stuff you need to take, take, take note of. Because thou hast them there that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balaam to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and commit fornication. So hast thou also them to hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. And so he mentions two people here. He mentions two people by name. And the latter one, the Nicolaitans, are basically those that follow Nicholas. That's the name that's there. They're really hard to pin down. You know, if you look throughout history, you, you, you study different commentaries and things. And, you know, Bible scholars really, they don't have a clear idea of exactly who these people were. Obviously, you know, we, we know false doctrine never really goes away. But, but there's, there's no real historical record that says this is exactly who Nicholas was. And this is the garbage that he taught. And this is what happened to them. He's kind of lost in history a little bit. But it would appear that, that the Greek name Nicholas has an awful lot of similarities with the Hebrew name Balaam. That in one sense, they're almost the same name. So in all likelihood, the fact that the Lord is telling us here, pay attention to Balaam and pay attention to the Nicolaitans, there's really a root problem that is a hand. There is an issue that is there that, that regardless of what you want to call it, regardless of whose name gets labeled to it, 
It is the, it is the same problem. It is the thing that, that they need to deal with. And we don't have a hard time figuring out who Balaam is. We, there, there's no other, I mean, there's a few mentions of this same group of Nicolaitans in the New Testament, but none of them tell us what it was that they did that God couldn't stand. But we know exactly who Balaam is. Yes. You go in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 22, you'll find this guy. And he would have been very well known, at least to any Jews that would have been in this church. Numbers chapter 22 and verse 1, this is all the way back at the time of Moses. It says, And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on the side of Jordan by Jericho. And they looked at the son of Zippor, saw that all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are around about us as the, the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak the son of Zippor was king of the Moabites at that time. And he sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam. The story find this guy. The son of Beor to Bethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there's a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, the children of Israel. Curse them for me, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail that we may smite them and that I may drive them out of the land for I want that he who thou blessest is blessed and he who thou curses is cursed. So, so word was out in the land that Balaam had some kind of spiritual connection. Uh, somewhere along the line in the past, and something must have come out of his mouth and, and, and blessed somebody and, and they got blessed. And, and he cursed somebody and, and they got cursed. And so, so the, the, this king says to him and says, I need your services. Mm -hmm. I've got an enemy that, that I can't overcome because their God's too powerful. I need you to come and curse them so I can be victorious. So God's people are blessed. Undeniable truth. God's people are blessed, and they always will be. But their enemy wants victory over them. That's what he's after. And so he hires this man named Balaam to come and curse them. Verse 7 says, The elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination. They took money in their hand, and they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balaam. And he said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I'll bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me, and the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. So Balaam sends the money. Balaam gets it. He sees the money in their hands. And so when he sees the money, he says, you're at the right place. I'm going to go talk to God. And when I get done talking to God, I'm going to tell you what it was that he had to say. So verse 9 says, God speaks. I don't know if he was a false prophet and he normally just, you know, tricked people. Or I, maybe God had talked to him before. I don't know if this was a surprise to Balaam or not. The scripture don't tell us. But verse 9 says, And God came to Balaam said, What men are these with thee? Balaam said unto God, Balaam the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, 
Behold, there's a people come out of Egypt which covered the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. Peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. And thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. So, his plans are foiled at this point. And I mean, Balaam talks to God, and God slams the door shut. Don't go with them, and don't curse them, because they are blessed. Case closed. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. We all shout that all the time. It, this, this whole story is over, right? If only it were. Balaam rose up in the Lord and said to the princes of Balak, Give you into your land, for the Lord refuses to give me leave to go with you. God said no. How many things in life would turn out better than God said no? We just do it. He said, I can't go with you. You might as well go alone because God's not going to let me do what you want me to do. Everything for everybody involved would have been better if this story just stopped here. But it did. Verse 14, the princes of Moab rose up, went to Balaam and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Balaam sent yet again princes more and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said unto him, Thus saith Balaam the son of Zippor, Let nothing I pray thee hinder thee from coming unto me. This is not a threat like we're going to kill you. He says, For I'll promote thee in the very great honor. I'll do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. He says, Name your price. It's kind of interesting, the preceding letter to the churches basically asks the question, what is your price? And here we find a letter referencing a man that the devil walked up to and said, name your price and I'll pay it. Do you have a price today? Do you have a price that which, if the devil offers that to you on a silver platter, that'll be enough to turn your back on God? And Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Oh, if he would have said, I told you God said no. If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. It sure sounds like he said that, right? But then verse 19. Now therefore I pray you, Tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. I don't know about you, but I'm smart enough to read those up, that other verse and realize that God was pretty clear. This wasn't one of those, you know, hard sayings. This wasn't one of those, you know, weird dreams you had last night. You tried to figure out, was it God or was it because you ate pizza before you went to bed? It was just some crazy, weird thing. You don't know if God's trying to tell you something or not. It wasn't one of those. God said, don't go with them and don't curse them. And yet, Balaam says... Just stay here tonight and let me see what else God has to say. What in the world is this man doing? Well, maybe if I ask again, you know, like, like your 10-year-old. 
I know Bob said no, but maybe if I ask again, maybe if I, I frame the question differently, maybe I didn't ask it in quite the right way. Maybe if God can see just how much I really want to work this out, maybe he'll give me a different answer. Oh God, I, I know you keep saying no to me every time I pray about this, but God, I, I really want this job. I really want that girl. She's the prettiest thing I've ever seen. I really want to go over here and do this. I really want to go over there and do that. Let's just get out of simple carnal things. God, I really want that ministry. God, I really want to stand in the pulpit right here and right now. God, I keep asking you, but it just seems like you're not listening. You don't understand how much I want this. They look so thinking, God, give me a different word tonight. God came to Balaam at night, verse 20, said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, thou shalt thou do. And Balaam rose up in the morning, and he sat on his ass and went with the princes of Moab. Kind of looks like he got what he wanted, right? Kind of looks like God changed his mind. Anybody in here ever know God to change his mind? I'm pretty sure there's a scripture that says something to the effect, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. We use a big fancy word called immutable to say that God never changes his mind. God's counsel is never undone. Whatever God says, he's going to do, and it's never going to be changed. So what in the world is going on here? Well, we read in Psalms 81, you can find it in some other places as well, but we see in Psalms 81 verse 11, but my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me, so I gave them up to their own heart's lust. And they walked in their own counsels. God didn't change his mind. God didn't want him going. And God was never going to curse his people. What in the world is going on then? Balak had made up, and Balaam had made up in his mind what he wanted already, and he wasn't really wanting to listen to God. So God stood out of the way. Go. Go after what you want. We'll see how that happens. You see, we've got to stop living our life and interpreting every open door as if God opened it. There's times we kick a door down. And just because God didn't stop us, we think it's the will of God. When sometimes God's not going to stop you, He's going to let you walk through that door because the only way you're going to learn the lesson is when you fall flat on your face and you realize you should have listened to God the first time. You can read the rest of the story and we'll get the hot points, but you'll see that for this man named Balaam, he should have stayed home. Right. Yeah. So he goes on his way. For the sake of time, we'll, you can read on in, in your own time. And it's a pretty interesting story because God puts things in his path, tries to stop him, and the story kind of Comes to a pretty interesting note when the donkey starts talking. Don't know that was there. You should read that. But what is it that this man does that that warrants 
New Testament attention. Why, why is this guy showing up in a couple of the epistles of the New Testament? Why is he showing up in the book of Revelation? And God forbid, why is his doctrine still showing up? Why is it in the church? Verse 41 says, again, I'm just jumping around for the sake of time. And it came to pass on the morrow that Balaam took Balaam, brought him up into the high places of Baal, that's a false god, that thence he might see the utmost part of the people. He took him to a vantage point so he could see the armies of God spread out in the valley. Numbers 23 and verse 1, the very next chapter says, Balaam said unto Balaam, Build me here seven altars, and prepare me here seven oxen and seven rams. Balaam is still trying to get a different answer out of God. But, because God is God, he puts words in Balaam's mouth. And when Balaam comes back from all the sacrifices, he looks at Balaam and what starts coming out of his mouth are blessings upon God's people. He's incapable of standing there and cursing them because God's people are blessed and blessings begin coming out of his mouth. Case closed, right? I mean, this really should just be a story of a stubborn man that should have listened to God the first time. It's not. Because verse 13 says, And Balaam said unto him, Come, I pray thee, with me unto another place, from whence thou mayest see them. Thou shalt see but the utmost part of them, and shalt not see them all. And curse me them from thence. What you're doing wrong, Balaam, is you just need to look at this from a different perspective. You just need to see this from a different angle. You don't need to stand in this spot and see the whole thing spread out before you. Just let me take you over here and you'll see just one part of them and you can curse that part and everything will be alright. If we can just look at this from a different angle. We don't need to quit church. We don't need to walk away from everything. We don't need to become apostate and turn our backs on God completely. We, we just need to adjust that little thing that doesn't sit well. I can still go to the apostolic church that teaches truth. I just need to adjust some things in my life to fit myself just a little bit better. Remember when he opened up this letter, what he called himself. He said unto the angel of the church of Pergamos, right? These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. God was showing up to divide up the things that belonged and the things that didn't belong. God was there to sever some false doctrine that didn't belong in the church. You can come to an apostolic church from now until Jesus comes and get left here if you don't follow the things in their fullness that are preached from the Word of God. When you just decide, all I need to do is see it from a different perspective. Pastor, you just need to understand this differently. I know that this is wrong, but, but it's my baby we're talking about. I know that, that these are the qualifications for this thing, but, but this is really important to me. 
I know that the word says I gotta do this and I gotta do that, but it just doesn't fit well with the job that I took or with the relationship that I just got myself into. The story's not over. Numbers chapter 24, verse 25, Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way. You see, first it just seemed like a story about a stubborn man who wouldn't listen to God. And then secondly, it looks like a story of a man that is dumb enough to think that if he just looks at God from a different angle, somehow that will make things all right. And it looks like this story has finally come to an end because Balaam and Balak go home. No curses, no defeated armies, no improved situation for them. They part ways and go on about it the rest of their lives. Or so it would seem. The very next chapter, when we think that this Balaam guy is just out of his ways, Numbers 25 says in verse 1, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bow down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. These are the same people that this false prophet had, had tried every angle and, and tried persistence and tried everything that sacrifices, everything that he knew to do to level a curse against them. And God, every time he opened his mouth, just poured out words of blessing, poured out words of good, poured out words to identify how wonderful and righteous and holy they were. And in one verse's time, Now God's angry at them. Because just like this, they turned their back on God and committed wicked things. What does that have anything to do with Balaam? Numbers chapter 31 tells us. Verse 16. Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. What does this mean? It means that this horrible thing that they did this horrible thing that happened that caused God to push back that blessing for a little bit and levy his own curse against Israel. Where did it come from? It came from Balaam. Before Balaam went his merry way, he was unable to curse God's people himself. But he counseled Balaam of how to defeat the children of Israel. So if you're going to live, if you're going to win, you've got to get them to turn their backs 
Because as long as they stand there in all of God's righteousness, as long as they stand there side by side, trusting in the power of their God and being faithful to Him, they look at, you don't stand a chance. I don't have the ability to stand up here and curse God's people. God will allow me to do it. But if you can deceive them, if you can get them to follow your gods, if you can get them to live your lifestyle, if you can get them to forsake God for themselves, then God will take that favor. God will take that protection. God will take that blessing. God himself plagued Israel. Let me just change the word a little bit. Let me just alter the doctrine a little bit. I know the preacher keeps on preaching it, but there's got to be another way to see it. There's got to be another way to look at it. If I keep pursuing my way long enough, if I keep justifying my sin long enough, somehow, some way, wrong will become right. See, too often we start thinking that false doctrine is just the doctrine of the Trinity what saved always say, things like that. But anytime what we believe and what we do doesn't line up with God's word, it's false doctrine. God said there's something going on in the church house. There's a group of people that are echoing words that came from a wicked prophet a few thousand years ago. And he said, you gotta stop listening. You gotta stop paying heed. You gotta stop tolerating this stuff. Because my way is the only way. There's not another way to see it. There's not another way to make it. Think about the church over the years. How much grief and hardship would we have escaped if we just changed a little bit? How many times would we not be persecuted on the job, not made fun of in school, if we'll just change the way we live a little bit? If we'll just live a little more like them and a little bit less like God's people, then everything will work itself out. But you need to remember who it was that was talking. He said, I'm the one... With a sword in my mouth. Yes. Hebrews 4 and 12 echoes the same idea. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I've come to tell you today, we're either living by the book or we're not living at all. We're either going to love truth or we're going to be lost. We're either going to stand up and say, God, I don't care what deal they offer me. God, I don't care what price they put on the table. I will not turn my back on you. We're living in a day. I know we've always been living in a day, but it sure seems more real than us right now. Where our government, our culture, the society around us is doing everything that it can to muddy up the church. You can call yourself what you want. You can go to church three times a week if you want. Just do it this way. Just side on to our perspective. Just see it in a little different light than what your mama saw and what your grandmama saw and what your great-granddaddy saw. I've come to tell you, church, I know that I'll have a low lineage of Pentecost in the flesh, but in the spirit, there are men and women that have bled and died 
just so I can hear truth preached today. God forbid, in the last meeting hours of the church, I turn my back and say, Devil, come check. I come to tell you today, I want it as pure, I want it as white, I want it as straight as it's ever been because I want to please God. I know you want to dress holy, but just cut some corners. I know you're supposed to flee fornication, but everybody else is doing it. I know you're supposed to be separated unto God, but you can be married to both of us. Isn't it interesting? Like throughout the Old Testament, very early in the Old Testament, Israel, like the world around him, fell into the trap of having multiple wives. It's, just, it's in the book of Genesis. It didn't take very long. They saw all the ungodly men going, I'll do that too. It's all throughout it now. It caused all kinds of problems. But nonetheless, they still can't do it. This is interesting. That when Jesus showed up and he got tagged with some questions about marriage and divorce, he looked at him and said, but from the beginning, it's not been so. Just because man chose the wrong path all the way back there before Moses ever wrote the law, never made it right. He said, I created them male and female. I made marriage to be with one man and one woman. He said, that's the way that I did it. I've come to tell you, it's not just the book of Acts we got to be living by. This word of God that we live by, it's got to be from Genesis to Revelation. His truth has never changed. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't want to see it from a different angle. I don't want to make any more sacrifices on an altar to get him to change it. I don't want to ask the question in a different way. I just want to live my life with a philosophy of preach me truth, preacher. Tell me what I need to do. God, open my eyes to what's in this word. Oh, give me the heaven. The Pergamos church had the testimony of a martyr of the truth. And yet they were entertaining the doctrine of Balaam. Verse 16 says, Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Use it comes. He didn't say, you know, earlier that whole thing about the first love. He said, if you don't get this right, I'm going to come to the church and take my candlestick. You're going to lose the very presence of God if you don't fall back in love with me. That's not what he said here. He didn't say, I'm coming to level your church. He said, I will come to fight against them. Those that believe what Balaam believed. Those that are following after whatever Nicholas was trying to feed them. Whichever ones are in the church trying to convince you of the same thing. Oh, it happens. We can't live in an ungodly way without trying to get somebody else to go with us. Oh, brother, I know that's what the pastor said, but I just don't really think it's, it's that hard. 